Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Restoration Church. You know, one of the things that you have to be when you're a church plant is you got to be nimble and you got to be able to kind of go with the flow. And so my thanks go to Samantha, who did the announcements this morning, and to our audio team that goes mostly unrecognized week by week because uh, I was supposed to have my slides to Sam Simpson by Wednesday because she was leaving on Thursday and I didn't have my slides done until last night at seven o'clock. So uh, I put them on a stick and I brought them here and who doesn't use windows? Well, apparently Restoration Church doesn't use windows. We use, we have a Mac because we're like, the, what is it, we're the cool, the hipster church, right? So, uh, you know, I would rather preach a hour, and I promise you I won't preach an hour uh, regardless of what Sam said. Um, I'll try to keep it to at least 50 minutes. Um, I would rather preach an hour than make two announcements. Announcements are harder than they look. I'm just telling you that. You know, every time I get up to do announcements, I feel like I'm, you know, one, you, you were here the week that I, I said something about Forward Church. Well, this isn't Forward Church, it's Restoration Church. So, you know, announcements aren't as easy as they look. And thank you, Sam, for doing that. And thank you to our audio team for the work that you did. So today we're continuing our, our sermon series on King David. And uh, today we're going to look at David and Saul. Uh, I hope you did the reading for this week. We put out, we're putting out an email to, uh, to let you know where we're going to be reading. We're covering a lot of territory, so it's helpful if you do the reading at home and you have a look and see what, uh, what we're going to look at. But if you'd open your Bible to uh, 1 Samuel and kind of stick your finger in and around chapter 13, we'll be moving around. Uh, hopefully uh, and thankfully to our audio team, uh, we should have the slides that will appear at the appropriate time when I read the scriptures, but you can follow along in your Bibles as we, as we go. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us about you and for what it teaches about us. And so we pray this morning that as we look at your word, you would teach us something about yourself. And Lord, that we would capture a vision of your greatness and of your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. CNN this week. A woman died at Yosemite National Park in California on, on Sunday. She probably should have been in church. Um, after park officials say that she was hit by falling rock and ice. National Park Services said in a news release Monday that the woman, Zhuang, Zhuang Wang, I think it is, 56, was hiking on the Mist Trail of the park. The popular trail, however, is closed during this time of year because of icy and hazardous conditions. The trail closure is clearly marked, and there's a gate on the trail reminding visitors of the closure. Wang ignored the signs, went around the gate, and the incident happened on the trail. Norway. August 2018. A 38-year-old Austrian tourist was killed on Sunday afternoon after he allegedly ignored warnings and wandered beyond the chains that cordoned off the Nygaard Glacier in the mountains of central Norway. As many as nine others had done the same but escaped injury when a massive ice block broke off the glacier and crashed into the river below. 
June 2015, News 24, South Africa. American woman, the American woman killed by the lioness at the lion park on Monday, so she must have been on church at Sunday, I'm assuming, had ignored several signs and verbal warnings not to drive through the area with her car windows open. The main rule was broken, not to have windows down. That's the number one rule, and if people followed it, these incidents wouldn't happen. 99% of people do follow the rules, the park assistant operations manager, Scott Simpson, told reporters. According to Simpson, there are more than 40 signs with both pictures and texts warning visitors to keep their windows rolled up and to stay in their cars. Saul was the first king of Israel. He was chosen by God and anointed by Samuel as king. And he started out really well, but tragically he ended in disaster. And what started out with great hope and great promise at some point went off the rails. Saul, through his own actions, and in particular his disregard and his disobedience of God's word and God's commands disqualified him as king. God took the kingdom from Saul, and he gave it to David. Saul's life hangs above us as a warning sign. Like those people in the, in the news stories that I just read, his life screams, don't walk this path. Don't cross this barrier. Don't leave the window of your heart open to these attitudes and practices. If you do, it's not going to end well for you. Paul gives Timothy a similar warning, and he says this, be careful that you do not make a shipwreck of your faith. Now, none of those people that I read about this morning or that we looked at this morning in, the, in those news things, none of them started out in the morning and said, today I am going to make a decision that's going to cost me my life. They just carelessly dis ignored the warning signs, and disaster ensued. And I'm sure that Saul didn't start out making a conscious decision to move away from God. And I don't know many Christians that would start out that way either. But it happens. It happened to Saul, and it can happen to us if we don't guard our hearts. Contrasting the warning that sort of hangs over Saul's life, we have David, who is an example of the right way to walk. So on one side you have the warning of Saul, and then on the other you have David saying, showing us which path to walk. So let's have a look and see what the scriptures have to say about Saul. Do you know what the number one indictment against Saul was? It's recorded for us in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Oh, we got it. Perfect. <laughs> so Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord, and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek the guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So the first warning sign that we see that hangs over Saul's life is that he didn't take God's word seriously. All his troubles, I believe, stemmed from that one root cause. On two separate occasions, God specifically through Samuel tells him to do something, and Saul disobeys. The first time, Samuel says to him, he says, go down to Gilgal and wait seven days, and I will come to you, and there I will make an offering, and I will show you what to do. 
And Saul goes down to Gilgal. So far, so good. And when he gets there, he finds that the Philistines have gathered in mass against Israel. 30,000 chariots. I, I can't even imagine what 30,000 chariots might look like. You know, it would be scary. 6,000 horsemen and troops. Samuel, 1 Samuel 13 says that they were like the sand on the seashore. And it's chaos. The people of Israel are freaking out. Okay, they're running away. They're hiding themselves in caves. They're hiding themselves in holes in the ground. Anywhere they can find cover out of the sight of the Philistines. In fact, some of them just plain ran away. It says they, they ran across the Jordan River and, and way far away. Like It's like, you know, they traveled from, from here to, to Milton. You know, like they got, they got way far away. They did not want to be seen by the Philistines. We're told that all the people that were standing there with Saul were trembling. And it's under these conditions that Saul's waiting for Samuel. And he waits. The more he waits, the more people are scattering. Like, uh, you can just see it, you know, day one. Uh, excuse me, your, your sire. Um, did you, have you seen how many Philistines are out there? Like, it's crazy. You know, day two, your lordship, the people are really scared. Day three, sorry to report, sire, uh, there's been a number of desertions overnight. Day four, more troops abandoned overnight. Day five, same thing. Day, uh, day six, same thing. Day seven, come on, Samuel, where are you? You said you would be here. I mean, he definitely said seven days, didn't he? He said seven days, right? He said seven, he's going to be here in seven days. And Saul becomes impatient and at some point during the seventh day, he takes matters into his own hands and he proceeds with the burnt offering. And no sooner is he done the burnt offering than Samuel arrives on the scene on the seventh day, just like he said he was going to arrive. And Samuel says, and here's the, here's the uh, scripture. Samuel says, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw the people were scattering from me, and you did not come within the days appointed, and the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For, when the Lord, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord sought a man out uh, after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So at that point, any opportunity for Saul's descendants is gone. He says, I w God would have established your kingdom forever, your sons, your sons' sons, and so on and so on. But he says, now your sons aren't going to be king. And there's some debate here as to what Saul actually did and how he disobeyed. There's, been, there's some suggestion that Saul had no business uh, offering the sacrifices because he wasn't a priest. But both David and Solomon offered the same kind of sacrifice to God. And God doesn't call them out as sinners for it. Saul's sin was that he failed to obey the word of God is spoken by Samuel. 
If you remember back into the fall when we were talking about false prophets, you remember we had to talk about what is a prophet. A prophet is somebody who gives the word of God uh, to the people. So when Samuel said to Saul, I want you to wait seven days and I'm going to come, we're going to offer, and then I'm going to tell you what to do, that was a word from God. And Saul didn't wait. He was disobedient. The second time, God, through Samuel, again tells Saul to destroy the Amalekites because of their sin against the people of Israel. So here's a little bit of Bible trivia. Does anybody know what the Amalekites did? Yeah, that's... Uh, well, they probably did child sacrifice, yes, but that's not their, their particular sin. You know what? It's obscure, folks. <laughs> I had to look it up. Here's what they did. We see it in Chronicle, or in Deuteronomy chapter five, or 25. It says this about the Amalekites. Do you remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt? How he attacked you along the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail? Those who were lagging behind you and he did not fear God? Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all of your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is going to give you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. So when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, we know that story of Moses and the Exodus, and we took them out. And they were traveling. And, you know, in any caravan, you're going to have, you know, so the people are out front marching away. And you're going to have the, you know, the mass, the, the sort of the main group. And then you're going to have the stragglers. You know, maybe they're the sick. Maybe they're, maybe they're the pregnant mothers. Who knows? But, you know, there's always people who are sort of strangling behind. And Amalek, Amalek went and they attacked those people. It says, he, God says, he, he cut off the tail because he didn't fear God. So 400 years later, and never forget, that God will never dishonor his own word. If he says it, it's going to happen, even if it takes 400 years. God calls on Saul to completely wipe them out. Men, women, children, infants, animals, everything. Now I should stop here because I realize that that sounds kind of brutal and unnecessary and unfair of God. And it's one of the key things that a lot of the atheists and non-Christians will point to as a reason not to believe in God. How can you believe in a God who promotes genocide? How can you believe in a God that God is good when he does things like that? Now that's a topic for a whole different sermon, but I will leave you with this and, and we'll talk about it more in a, in a minute. But if you have a problem with this, it's because you do not understand the character and the ways of God. The reality is, is that you have a small view of God. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So God calls on Saul to destroy the Amalekites completely and nothing is spared. So we pick up the story in chapter 15 and this is how it goes. You got it up there? Yes, thank you. And Samuel said to Saul, uh, I'm sorry, and, so and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, uh, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? And Saul said, Well, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. 
and the rest we have devoted to destruction. And then Samuel said to him, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Well, speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have done, I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have, I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted to the, Amaleks to de, or the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep, oxen, and the best of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as, as, is as the sin of divination and presumption as the iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Here's the warning. God requires obedience. You know, obedience just isn't one of those things that's kind of the like Old Testament thing. And then when Jesus came along, he ushered in grace and mercy and forgiveness and all of those things. God has not changed his stance on obedience. Because God doesn't change. God himself does not change. We're told in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, it says, The grass withers. And the, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you know what the phrase to obey is better than sacrifice means for us today? It means that God's not looking for the person who's doing the most. He's looking for people whose hearts desire what he desires obedient sons and daughters who demonstrate their love for God by doing what he asked them to do. You know, you could be the most committed person at Restoration Church. You could be serving on a team. You could be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. You could be attending small group prayer meeting. You could be volunteering at the food bank. You could be tithing 20% of your money. You could be busy and self-sacrificing, but if you do not have a heart to do what God asks you to do, you won't get anywhere in your relationship with God. It's not impressed by the sacrifices of disobedient children. Do you remember what God, or, or what God said to Samuel when Samuel went out to anoint David as king and the first older brother comes along and, and, and he's a big, handsome guy, you know, football player type, and Samuel says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. God says to him, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Do you know why he says that? He said that because David's heart was directed towards the Lord. 
He was directed towards the Lord in obedience. He was prepared to do what the Lord asked him to do. We have an example of that, and we see that in chapter 23, where uh, we, we pick up the story here, and it says, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So here's the two things we need to note here. One, he inquired of the Lord. And two, he obeyed what God told him to do. You know, the application here is pretty plain. The first is, do you inquire of the Lord? I mean, do you read your Bible? You know, how do you know what God wants you to do unless you read his word? And once you read it, we're required to obey it. How do you evaluate the advice and the input of others if you don't know what God has to say? I find it really interesting here what happens. David inquires of the Lord. He says, should I go? And God says, yeah, go. And then his men are like, you know, David, we're really, you know, we're we're running for our lives here from Saul. And now we're going to go down to Philistine territory. And how much more are we going to be in danger? And so he says, you know, okay, okay, I'll take it back to the Lord. And he goes back to the Lord. And the Lord gives him an answer. And then he obeys. And he encourages his men, and they go. You don't want to know what David, if, if you want to know what David thought of the word of God, all you have to do is turn to Psalm 119. How can a man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored your word up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. David took God's word and obedience seriously. I don't know why Saul didn't, but that attitude affected all his, the areas of his life. Perhaps one of the areas, or one of the reasons why he didn't take it seriously is, is our second warning sign, which is that Saul had a small view of God. At Gilgal, as God anointed king, he should have been encouraging the people. He was God's appointed leader for the tribes of Israel. You know, he should have been saying things, something like, just wait, folks. We serve a mighty and a glorious God. And when Samuel gets here, he's going to bring a word from the Lord, and you are going to see the salvation of our great God. But he doesn't. He's afraid. And when Goliath threatens the people this is what it says when Saul and all the Israel heard the words of the Philistine they were dismayed and greatly afraid you see Saul didn't know the word of God and he didn't know the the God of the word last week we looked at David's reaction when he heard Goliath's boast 
He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you see the difference? Saul was afraid because he had a small view of God. But David, his bravery was based not on his own ability, but on the greatness of God. David knew something that Saul didn't. It begs the question, how big is your God? Is he big or is he small? Where do you go when you want to get information about who God is? There's all kinds of stuff that's available now. You can pick up a Time magazine. I saw a Time magazine there that talked about Christianity not too long ago. You can, you can, you can watch A&E and it has you know, stuff on God. Uh, um, I can't remember his name, but you know, there's all kinds of things, places you can go to get information on God. But David went to God's word. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. David loved God's word. It was the springboard for all of his thoughts and his meditations on who God was. He would seek God's face. He would think deep thoughts about God. He would worship God. He would sing about God. He would write poetry about God. God was the focus of his heart's desire. He wasn't just interested in what God could do for him. He had a desire to know God personally and on a deeper level. His courage came from a deeper understanding of who God was. One of the reasons why we're choosing to pray uh, at our prayer meeting through the Psalms is that we want to capture a vision of how great and how big our God is. You know what the problem is when you have a small God uh, approach to life is that it raises the importance and inflates our own sense of uh, ourself. Our egos go up because God couldn't possibly do anything without our help. But a big God is to say, God's the one who does the work. And churches all over this country are running around and doing all kinds of things and all kinds of busy activities with the idea that if we don't do this, God's not going to accomplish his, his work. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be about God's work and doing the things that God wants us to do, but it comes back to our attitude. Are we inflating ourselves, or do we have a big view of who God is? Two times in David's experience here, he comes face to face with an opportunity to finish Saul off. And both times he refuses. He says, I will not raise my hand against God's anointed king. And at one point he gives this explanation and David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. For the Lord forbid that I should put my hand against the Lord's anointed. Folks, it takes faith in an all-powerful God to say, I will not take matters into my own hands, but I'll leave it with the Lord. And what he's saying here is he's saying, I am not going to try and hurry God's hand along. God could have removed Saul at any time, but he chose not to. And I don't know the reason why. I don't know how he was working on, through those circumstances. 
the things that he was teaching David at, those ti- at, at that time. But from what I know of God, he was preparing David to be king. Saul wasted so much time running around the countryside trying to put an end to David. He was trying to write his own story because he believed that he could affect and change the outcome of what God had already said to him. He had a small view of God. And likewise, I think we waste a lot of time trying to manipulate the circumstances of our lives rather than seeking God's face. At one point, Saul heard that David was in the town of Keilah and he says, oh, God has given him into my hands. And he said that because he thought so little of God that he interpreted the circumstances as God helping him to advance his own agenda. And it's easy for us to look at that and say, what a fool. But how often do we petition God in an attempt to advance our own agendas? I'm reading a book on prayer right now by Daniel Henderson, and this is what he says. He says that we've got to come to God in worship. And so he calls it worship-based prayer. And this is what he says. He says, worship-based prayer seeks the face of God before the hand of God. God's face is the essence of who he is. God's hand is the blessing of what he does. God's face represents his person and presence. God's hand expresses his provision for the needs in our lives. I have learned that if all we ever do is seek God's hand, we will miss his face. But if we seek his face, he will be glad to open his hand and satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. David also said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. That doesn't mean that you can, you know, you can pull a fast one on God. You know, you can do a card trick in in front of God and, and fool him. Right, and say, well, hey, Lord, I'm really seeking you. I'm really seeking you. Oh, by the way, can you help me with my, uh, you know, my business? Can you help me with my, you know, whatever it is, find a husband, find a wife, whatever, whatever it is that you, that you do. What he's saying is, is that when you delight yourself in the Lord, when that becomes the focus of your heart and of your life, he's going to give that to you. He's going to give you more of himself. David sought the face of God, and it gave him a big view of God. You know, what sustains you when things don't turn out the way you expected? What sustains you when you're in the desert waiting? What sustains you when opposition comes your way? Nothing will sustain us better than the presence of God himself. And I'm sure that David had moments of doubt when he questioned God, but one of the things that sustained him was he had a grand, majestic view of who God was. Saul's problem was his God was just too small. The last difference between David and Saul, the the warning sign that hangs over uh, Saul's life is that Saul did not have a soft heart towards the Lord. Each time Saul is confronted about his sin, Instead of acknowledging it and confessing it, he starts to justify his actions. When David said to him, what have you done? Saul says this, well, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you had not come within the appointed time, sorry, Samuel, it was really your fault, you know, 
that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, and I said, now the Philistines are going to come down against me. He didn't know that. That was just his fear speaking. He said, I have not sought to favor the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Come on, Samuel, you can hardly blame me. Things were going to pieces, and you were nowhere to be found. Someone had to do something. And the next time, he blames the people for sparing the animals of the Amalekites. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to your Lord. And later he says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted to the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, the people, it wasn't me, God, it was them. It wasn't me, Samuel, it was, it was the people. They are the ones who took the spoil. Here's the difference between Saul and David. I'm going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel 24 and verses 3 to 7. It says this, And Saul, or and when he, which is Saul, came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting on the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe, and afterward David's heart struck him. Because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe, and he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing as he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left and went on his way. I mean, this is, this is, um, I marvel at the, the scene, right? It's, it's like, this is some serious ninja stuff, right? Like David sneaks up, well, Saul's doing his business, and he cuts a corner of his robe off, right? I don't know why he did that, but, you know, maybe in the middle of it, he was raising his hand to, to, to strike Saul, and he thought, no, I better not, and he cuts his robe off, and then he comes back, and it says his heart started to bother him. You know, his, his heart was soft towards the Lord, and I think this is one of the critical things that was missing from Saul's life. You know, I I thoroughly enjoyed Pastor Phil's sermon last week. I love listening to men who have walked with God as long as he has. You know, I, I made a joke that he that he was he's been serving God as long as I've been alive. And it encourages me because I think, you know, okay, so maybe he's in his twenties, right? So uh, you know, that, that would put him kind of maybe around 80. I'm just doing the math because he told us to, right? He said, do the math. And I'm thinking to myself, here's a man who's still following the Lord, whose heart is still soft towards the Lord. And he, sh- and he shared a couple things, and I was like, wow, there is still hope for me yet. God still have things to teach me because, man, when, when, that when I'm that age, I can, I can go to God's word and he's going to give me things. It, 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 was, it was amazing. But anyways, after I was talking to him and, and I said, you know, I wonder what would have happened. I just was kind of thinking about my sermon and thinking about this. I think, what would have happened if Saul, that first time that David, or the first time that Samuel had said to him, you know, you have acted foolishly, if Saul had said, you know, you're right. And I want to confess my sin to the Lord. 
Now, he would have lost the kingdom. It wouldn't have gone to Jonathan, and, and, and David would have come. But I wonder what it would have happened. And you know what? You know what Pastor Phil said to me? He said, you know the problem with Saul? He had no Psalm 51 in his life. Now, I, I don't know if you know what that means, because David wasn't perfect. In fact, he committed some pretty horrific and egregious sin. You know, and, and the problem is, is that I think that, that Satan's way of taking us away from the fact that David was a man after God's own heart is that when everybody thinks of David, they think of David and Bathsheba, right? They always think of David's great sin, you know, and the fact that, that he sinned with Bathsheba and then, he, and then he murdered her husband so that she could become his wife. But when the prophet went to David and he said, you know, what you have done is wrong, David repented of it because his heart was soft towards the Lord. When God called him out, he repented. He never hardened his heart against the Lord. The application is pretty straightforward, folks. What is God saying to you today? Has he pointed out some sinful behavior in your life? Do you have a wrong friendship or an alliance that you're that, that, that is causing you to, to move away from God? Do you have some harmful attitude that God is trying to speak to you about? Don't harden your heart. Don't be like Saul. Don't try and justify the way that you act. Soften your heart. Confess and forsake those things. Remember, Saul didn't start out to make a shipwreck of his life just happened. We need to learn from Saul's negative example. But praise God we have the example of David who had a heart after God. You know, I, I think about that a lot. I think about what God said about him. He said, here's a man after my heart. You know, I can't, I honestly cannot think of something that I would rather have God say about me is that he had a heart after me. What about you? What occupies your heart? I hope that God will take hold of your heart so that you will be a man or a woman after the heart of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't really understand what caused Saul to go off the mark, but we can see that he didn't really honor your word, that he didn't really have a big view of you, and that he didn't soften his heart towards you. Lord, may we be people after your heart. May we be people who love you so much that we have a big view of you and we soften our hearts towards you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand with us.